today. And today we're going to have a couple of passages that we're going to be going through. And the first is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 11b. And I say 11b because it's the second part of, of verse 11. And so let's go ahead and open up to Isaiah, chapter 55, verse 11b. So the second part of verse 11. And then the, the other passage that we'll be in today will be 2 Timothy 3.16. So first, let's open up to Isaiah 55, 11b. And it'll be up on the projector screen and those worshiping online as well. It will be there on the slides. Isaiah 55, 11b. So it begins. And then the second part of the verse says this. Let's hear now from God's word. It tells us this. My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. My word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty. And 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that's in the New Testament. It'll also be up in the slides, but you can open up in your Bibles there. And it says this. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servants of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is God-breathed. Amen. Let's pray together. God, we thank you that you are good. We thank you, Lord, that you are here with us this morning. That you never leave us. You never forsake us. That you're always up to something, Lord, in a way that's visible and also in ways that are invisible. And God, we just pray that today you'd meet us right where we're at. Meet us where we're at, Lord, and take us where we need to be. Lord, we love you. We sang that in our songs, and now we want to proclaim that with our lives. Be blessed, be glorified, and as we enter into this Q&A throughout this month, Holy Spirit, would you be the one to guide us and to bring it all together? in the unique and wonderful way that only you can. It's in the faithful name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So, um, again, we all know this, but those of us that are newer, we know that part of our call, part of our purpose here at Imago Church is that um, we would really be a people that finds our identity in the image of God and our purpose in the image of Christ. That's what Imago means and I'm so glad that we get to be on this mission together. It was a blessing and gift for me to be able to take a few days of vacation last week and um, just to hear just the good news, the good report of an incredible time in worship that the community had. And also for Danny, Ben, and Al, who really just brought the word last week. Amen. I'm just so grateful for that. And that's a gift for a pastor to be able to step away knowing that God's people are together continuing to gather around the gospel. So I'm thankful for you. 
And the series that we're in throughout the month of August is what we're a series we're calling Heart of the Matter, where we're really going deep in our questions, our questions about faith, life, the Bible, God, and we're bringing it all before God. And here's what we've learned when we have these times of Q&A, these times of going deep in our questions. We do that because we know that the God that we worship actually welcomes all of our questions and actually is willing to engage all of our doubts. The God that we worship is actually not afraid or intimidated by any of our questions or any of our doubts. But as we talked about a few weeks ago when we opened up this series and we did the Q&A together, our questions and our doubts are wrestling with God is actually a way that we can experience closeness and intimacy with God. Because you and I, we are finite, we are limited people. Yet we worship and follow and place our faith and hope and trust in an eternal and perfect God. An eternal and per perfect God. And when there's, the, when, when there's that relationship between limited, broken, imperfect people like us worshiping a perfect God, guess what? There's going to be moments when we see, but we don't see fully. There's going to be times when we get it, and we don't get it at the same time. And that's okay. I love how um, the Apostle Paul in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 13 Verse 12, he puts it very well, and he says this. He says, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. We see, and we see through a glass darkly, as the Apostle Paul says there. So the attitude, the posture that we're called to as believers, as followers of Jesus, is an attitude that has both, on the one hand, conviction, and on the other hand, humility. Conviction and humility. What does that mean? Conviction is actually the posture and attitude that we can hold on to with all fullness and certainty, where we say, yes and amen, this we believe. We believe in our Lord Jesus Christ that salvation comes through him, that he came, died, and rose again so that all may be saved. Yes, we believe that with conviction. And humility means that we place our faith in that truth. What is faith? Faith is believing without, believing without seeing. Blessed are those who have believed and have not seen. Conviction on the one hand and humility on the other hand. Those are not enemies. Those are not um, uh, you know, antagonistic toward one another. Some of us maybe grew up in a context like that where either we, had, um, uh, we, we, we were told to only have conviction and certainty and there was no room for doubt. Or we were actually uh, told that everything is doubt, everything is relative, and there is no conviction. But the faith that we follow, the gospel actually invites us into something new, into both conviction and humility, where we see we have conviction in what we believe, and at the same time, we walk humbly, just as Jesus Christ, our Lord, was humble. Because that's the end goal, really. 
to be like Christ. Not just to have all the right answers, not just to have all the right responses, but it's to be like Christ, who was humble, and therefore we're called to be humble. We hold on to both conviction and humility as the attitudes of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. And even when we engage questions and conversations with others, those within the church or those with outside of the church, the attitude that we're called to, we can get into any kind of question. But is it done in conviction and humility? Is it done in love? Again, conviction means that we see. Humility means that we believe Jesus' words to be true, which say, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This month, we're continuing to build each other up through this process of going deep in our questions around faith and around doubt. We had an opportunity a couple of weeks ago to really uh, check in with everyone where we got to talk about um, some of those questions that are deep for each one of us that we wanted to be able to talk about and engage throughout the month of August. And this is an opportunity for us to sharpen each other by bringing our true selves before a true God so that as disciples we would continue to grow and be Christ-like. Again, that's the end goal here, to display Christ-like character, displaying the fruits of the Spirit, displaying conviction and humility, where we believe in with all of our hearts and we also trust in an eternal God. That means that there's always going to be an opportunity to grow in our faith and in spiritual maturity when we carry both, right? Because if we have no humility and we only have conviction, guess what? We're not going to be learners because we think we know it all. Or if we only have, uh, you know, just have um, complete doubt and cynicism, we're not going to be open to anything new either. But during this season, during this month, we're actually stepping into this Christ-like attitude of conviction and humility. And each week we're going to take on two or three of the questions that we had over uh, the, the course of the last month when we did the Q&A. And there's a lot of incredible questions in there. Today we're actually going to look at the questions, um, what is the Bible? What's the purpose of the Bible? How was it put together? And then we're also going to be look at, looking at what does it mean to actually... Um, to, to be a part of our faith tradition? What does it mean to be a Christian? Why are there different types of Christian churches and Christian traditions, and what does that mean for us as well? And so we're going to be able to open up and engage that. And one thing I want to be able to, um, to develop you all and train you all in, especially when you hear the Word of God, we're, do we're doing this with a Q&A, but really this is something that each one of us should be open to, right? Every time uh, a, a message or a sermon is going to occur, yes, here in our church, especially because this is where God has called us, but also when we're engaging the Word of God in other contexts as well, that we should lean in and be open to what God may be teaching us that day. So this is a proactive time too, not just a passive time where you are welcome and actually invited to, and I've seen many of you do this, to have your notebook, to have your Bible, to have your app, 
to have anything like that, to be able to engage, to take notes, to also um, think about other follow-up questions, because the Word of God is living and active during this time together. Amen? So the first question that came up during our Q&A was this question on, what is the Bible? Which is quite a question, and we only have 10 minutes to go over it, okay? So uh, we're going to jump right in. What is the Bible? Well, some of the scriptures we looked at today actually respond to that question on what the Bible is, the Word of God, and what the role of it is as well. It says that in 2 Timothy 3.16, right? And you can open up to that once again or find it there in the slides. It says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servants of God, that's you and me, so that we would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And then we see even back in the Old Testament in the prophet Isaiah 55:11, which was our opening verse today, the Lord himself says, my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. So here's the bottom line. And really with a lot of these questions, each one of the Q&A questions that we talked about over this month really is a question we can spend hours on. But I'm going to get to the bottom line with each question. And the bottom line in answering the question um, about the Bible is this. The Bible is God's book that points to Jesus. The Bible is God's book that points to Jesus. Scripture invites us to see this grand story, the story of stories, where each one of us can find our story in his story. The Bible, the Word of God, tells us who we are by pointing to whose we are. So the Bible, the Word of God, is actually not just one book, but it's actually more like a library. You know, it's not just one book that we check out, but it's really a library of books, of 66 books. There are 39 books in the Old Testament and 27 in the New Testament. And the Old Testament can be understood as God's promises before Jesus Christ, so the origin of God's promises. And the New Testament can be understood as the fulfillment of God's promises in Jesus Christ. So the Bible tells the story of God and humanity. That's really what this scripture is fully pointing to. It witnesses to where God's story and our human story meet together and sometimes collide. Collide beautifully, collide awkwardly. But that's, this is really the story of where, our, where God's story and the human story meet together. And in fact, the gospel, which means good news, is the story of how God loved and saved humankind. So again, that's the purpose of this book. And there are some verses that really just highlight immediately what that purpose is. And one of those verses is a verse I'm sure you've heard of before. It's in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, verse 16. And maybe you thought that was just some random sign at sports events. 
or at baseball games or, or whatever it may be. But no, this verse actually captures the entire purpose of the Word of God. And it says this, and you can open up to John 3.16. Some of you already have it memorized. Or it'll be up in the slides. And it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Wow, we've heard it so many times. But when we just listen to it with fresh ears and receive it and look at it with fresh eyes, it has a whole new meaning. So again, the Bible is not just a collection of unrelated, random, moralistic stories. And the Bible is not just a history lesson. But the Bible, the Word of God, actually tells a living and active story. A living and active story that is still happening today. And we are invited to be a part of the journey. To be a part of the great adventure that God invites us into. So really, one way that we can understand, again, this precious book, the Word of God, is that the Word of God reveals the God of the Word. And I want you to just be able to remember that and write that down. Again, why we gather around this book, what the purpose, what the point is. The Word of God reveals the God of the Word. We don't only read the Bible to mark precious promises or to just grow in our intellectualism, although there are hundreds of precious promises in the Bible. Nor do we only read the Bible to understand biblical doctrine. Yes, biblical doctrine is essential, but that is not the end in mind that the Word of God has for us. We read the Bible for this, and I want you to remember this and write this down, either in your notes or, or your, or your uh, device or whatever it may be. We read the Bible to get to know the heart and the mind of God. We read the Bible to get to know the heart and the mind of God. Because the better that we know God, the better that we can enjoy God, and the better that we can serve God. The Bible is really this living link, a connection point, a living link between us and the living God. The Bible is a physical gift that connects us to the living God. What a precious gift from the Lord. So just a little bit more about how the Bible is written, right? There's all kinds of different um, uh, types and genres within the Bible. Again, more of a library, not just one book. But the literary style in which the Bible is written is actually called ancient Jewish meditative literature. It's not a common uh, form of writing today, but it was the way in which the Bible was written, ancient Jewish meditative literature. And this kind of genre or literary style is very different than other types of books, even types of books that we have today. It's different than a textbook, right? A textbook can teach you a subject and you can learn math or, or learn a new lesson through a textbook. It's different than an instructional manual, right? When some of us buy new furniture, we kind of lay out all of the instructions there and put every piece together. The Bible is different than that. 
It's actually different than just a history lesson that tells us what happened and maybe we can learn a lesson or two to not repeat the same thing. It has a lot of those components in it, but that's not the end in mind of the literary style of the Bible. Again, the literary style of the Bible is ancient Jewish meditative literature. And the, the purpose of this style of writing, of, of uh, Jewish meditative literature, is closeness to God. Closeness to God through faith and through trust. The purpose of ancient Jewish meditative literature is closeness to God through faith and trust. Again, the word of God is a living word, and that is why we keep coming back to Scripture every single week, every single day, and every time we will find something new when we engage the word of God. You know, I've had the opportunity to read the Scriptures uh, cover to cover and to read uh, several books within there many, many times. But we will find something new every time we come back to it. Because again, the purpose of the Bible is closeness to God. The point of the Bible is not just going to be information. The purpose of the Bible is not just going to be inspiration, though we're going to find both in there. But the point and the purpose of the Word of God is for us to experience transformation. Transformation through drawing near to the living God. The Bible is the written word of God, and it serves as this link to connect us, right? So when we meditate on this word, it actually transforms us. It makes us new. It gives us, through God's power, through the Holy Spirit, when we engage the word of God, we get new hearts, new minds, new thoughts. God does something new. Because transformation occurs when we refocus our thinking. And we refocus our thinking by meditating. Meditating on the Word of God. The Word of God is a living Word that forms us and draws us closer to the heart and the mind of the living God. And the way that we experience transformation is through meditating on Scripture. And again, meditating means refocused thinking. All of us here know how to meditate. You know how I know? Who's ever worried about something? That's a form of meditating. You're only thinking about that thing and nothing else. The scriptures invite us to refocus our thinking and experience transformation. Meditating on the scriptures is an essential step to get to that next level of maturity in our spiritual lives. If you feel that you've been stagnant, if you feel you've wanted to go that next step, I want to encourage you to start here. Start with meditating on the Word of God. Refocus your thinking. And a prayer that I've prayed and that I teach to my children is one that I want to pass along to you as well when engaging the Word of God. You can make it a holy moment and ask. You can say, Lord, help me understand. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Help me understand by the power of your Holy Spirit. And you will see 
God do new things, reveal new insights that you will know did not just come from you. Because meditating on the scriptures is that essential um, way to take that next step with the Lord. And he'll meet us all where we're at, just as we are with our personality, with our intellectual style, with our reading style. But the purpose is this, to provide a time where we can refocus our thinking from ourselves, from our problems, from our situations, to refocus on God's eternal truths. So that's really what the purpose of the Bible is and why it matters. Now, how was the Bible put together? How is it that we have 66 books in total in this library, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament? Well, I love how within the scriptures, in, in the book of Acts, chapter 7, there's this early church leader, his name is Stephen, and he actually, before he was being martyred, which means dying for his beliefs, he actually summarized the entire Bible and tells us what it is all about, what the purpose of it is, what the point of it is. And really, essentially what we read about in Acts 7 is this, that the Bible is the written witness, the written witness that points to the living witness, Jesus Christ. Again, a written witness that points to the living witness for the sake of proclaimed witness. That's what we're doing here every single Sunday. We gather to proclaim this good news. This early church leader, Stephen, talks about the grand story where we all find our stories and where we can be restoried. The written witness that points to the living witness, Jesus Christ, for the sake of proclaimed witness. The Bible is actually the recognized written witness. Why, why do I say recognized instead of invented or discovered? Because it was never that. It was actually recognized by God's people as, yes, this is the written witness that points to the living witness, Jesus Christ. And there were different groups of, of people in the early church um, in, in, uh, in groups that would come together in conferences and councils that would really recognize these 66 books as the written witness that points to the living witness. So again, the written witness that, that, uh, that points to the living witness for what purpose? To form witnessing communities like yours and mine throughout history. Himago Church is a part of that, about the power of this written witness to point to a witness in communities. So the canon of 66 books, that's what these 66 books together are actually called that. It's called canon. And those are the books in which the church, the people of God, affirm and recognize as the written witness that points to Jesus Christ. So the living witness and the, the living witness, Jesus, is the perfect revelation of God. And this canon, the, these 66 books, this library, um, is actually, um, well, the word canon actually means ruler. It means measurement. So really, we have this measurement with these 66 books of the written witness that point to the living witness. So really, this is the measurement, right? Whenever we hear anything about Jesus or about God, we have a measuring stick that says, wait a minute, does it measure here or not, right? 
Some people here are working on some construction problem, on some construction projects. Before you do anything, what are you going to do? You need to measure it, right? So before you receive anything about God or are quick to reject it or quick to just be, be prone to it, measure it with God's measuring stick, with the canon. So, again, that's what canon means. That, that's what these 66 together mean, measuring uh, God's measurement, the Bible. And the Bible serves its purpose in forming witnessing communities. Again, that's its purpose, to point to the living witness and form these new communities, communities like ours, where people who wouldn't ordinarily be together can gather around Jesus, where we can receive this good news and pass on this good news to others. And this is a beautiful, eternal story and a pattern that we are invited into to receive good news, to be transformed. And by this good news, we can pass it on to others from one generation to another. That's the pattern. That's why this measurement has existed. And guess what? We receive that all the way back to the early, from the early church throughout history and even today. And guess what? We can now receive it, be transformed by it, and make sure, you know what our job is? To pass along this measurement to the next generation. Amen? That is God's call. That is the purpose of the Word of God. That is the point, again, to form witnessing communities that will pass it along. That is the bottom line on what the Bible is and what the purpose of the Bible is. And the truth is, we could be here for hours, and I can share with you thousands of years of church history that went into compiling this beautiful book that we love. And anyone that's ever met with me one-on-one, -on -one, you know that I can geek out on that stuff. I can spend hours just talking about church history. But really, the bottom line is that, to put it simply, the Bible is the recognized written witness that forms witnessing communities. Churches and faith families like ours, people that have been transformed like, by, by Jesus, people like you and me, transformed by Jesus throughout history, throughout the world, for the sake of receiving, being transformed, and passing along this good news, this gospel witness to others. So we'll just take a couple of minutes to go into the second question that was asked last week. And if we need to continue next week, we'll pause and continue next week. But really, the second question that was asked during our Q&A a couple of weeks ago was, not only what the Bible is and how it came together and what the purpose is, but also what do we believe here at Imago Church? And, and what, kind, what part of faith, faith tradition are we a part of here? So at Imago Church, um, again, what do we believe and what does it mean to be part of our faith tradition? And our faith tradition is really a gospel-centered, Protestant, Reformed um, uh, faith. And really, what does that mean? I mean, again, we can go into tons of history on that. But really, if essentially in church history, if you're not uh, Catholic or Orthodox, you are Protestant. You know, a lot of people sometimes say like, oh, well, you know, I'm Christian. Well, but Christian is actually a tree 
a giant, beautiful sequoia tree with many branches. And we're a branch of that amazing story. Or even Jesus says it best, right? My, I have, my father has a big, big house with many rooms. <laughs> Sometimes we don't get that, and it's not even our house, right? But God said, so Jesus says, my father's house is a big house with many rooms. And guess what? We have, a con- we have a room there. And the beautiful thing is we have a common room, a living room, a kitchen, where we can all rejoice in together as well. But again, what exactly does it mean to be part of uh, what we believe and our particular branch in this beautiful giant tree? So at Imago, we are a gospel-centered, multicultural community where hope is built through restored relationships. And we're part of a five-century-old denomination called the Reformed Church in America. Uh, It actually traces its story, its history, back to the Protestant Reformation that occurred over 500 years ago in 1517. So before the Protestant Reformation, we actually see a lot of the history of the church as part of our history as well, before that distinction occurred. So our churches express their faith through a number of creeds and confessions, which are also shared with many other churches and other denominations all over the world as well. So we do want you to know what we believe. That is essential. But what's more important, and I say this as your pastor, is really that you feel welcome and loved no matter what. Because we don't unify just around a set of ideas, but we unify around a living Lord, Jesus Christ. We unify around the Holy Spirit who gathers us. We truly feel that everyone here regardless of what your church background is, no church background, or new church background, that you should first belong. And guess what? As you belong, God will teach you. And we even see that in the New Testament. All those who followed Jesus, before they believed, before they understood, they first belonged. And so we want to be able to express that genuinely here at Imago that there's no prerequisite here to fully understand or even believe everything, but you belong. And in Christ, you will see the work of God in your life to bring you to the point of belief. But we believe a couple of things. And again, I'm going to put this very simply. Again, heart of the matter, getting to the bottom line. We can spend hours and hours talking through theology and systematizations and all that stuff. We're not going to do that right now. If you ever want to, we can do it in small groups or uh, let's grab coffee sometime. I'd love to do that. But to keep it very simple, we believe this. We believe that God's word is true. We believe God. We believe that grace is enough and that Christ is sufficient. And we believe that Jesus loves us. And this we know, for the Bible tells us so. Again, even in those simple responses, you really wrap together, and that's the amazing thing about God. He puts us all on common ground. Whether you're the greatest intellectual in history or you're a child, you can receive, you can know God's truth. 
But additionally, as the church, we're a part, again, of this gospel-centered Protestant Reformed tradition where we also hold to something called the five solas of the Protestant faith, which means this. The five solas are really the five absolutes, the five essentials, the building blocks of, of Protestantism, really. And again, I'm so tempted to like go into every single definition of everything here, but we don't have time for that, all right? We need time for fellowship and donuts and all that too, and worship. But we can continue the conversation, absolutely. But here are the five essentials of what we believe, the five building blocks, really. The first is what's called by faith alone. So that means that we are made righteous before God by faith alone, nothing else. And the second uh, uh, pillar is by grace alone, meaning that we do not contribute to our salvation by any human effort. We can't get to God, but it is fully a gift from God. The grace of God is his gift that he came to us. We cannot get to him, but by grace, God comes to us in Jesus Christ. So we believe that by grace, not by works, we are saved so that no one would boast, so that no one would think of themselves more highly than someone else. By faith alone, by grace alone, the third pillar is in Christ alone or through Christ alone, which means that salvation is attained by faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ alone. Neither human ideas or legalistic religious traditions or practices or rule keeping, none of that is sufficient for salvation. It's only through Christ alone. And number four, the fourth pillar is authority by scripture alone, which we just spent time talking about. Authority in the church is really uh, something that we get through scripture alone, derived by God's living word, the written witness that points to the living witness. And then number five, the fifth pillar is for the glory of God alone. That our purpose in life is to worship God in spirit and in truth. That's our purpose, that's the point. Our identity and our purpose is found in living for the glory of God alone. Not for the glory of human beings, not for the glory of self, not for the glory of an institution, but for the glory of God. Our purpose is not in selfish gain or in human recognition or in approval, but really our purpose as outlined, and we're gonna go really old school here with some people that grew up with something called a, a training, a teaching, a catechism. There's this old school um, uh, a catechism called the Heidelberg Catechism, written way back in Germany hundreds of years ago. And it says this, it asks us this question, what is your only comfort in life and in death? And I know some people know the answer to that. I know Brother Al does. He grew up in that. Which is what? What is your only comfort in life and in death? That I am not my own. But that I belong, body and soul, in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. For the glory of God alone. Friends, brothers, sisters, this is what we believe. The foundation of who we are, whose we are. And again, 
a statement that we read here together at Imago is a statement, a creed, a belief called, again, another measuring stick, right? Called the Apostles' Creed. It all comes directly from the gospel. The Apostles' Creed was written just about 300 years after the birth of Christ. And in this beautiful creed, it summarizes the foundational Christian beliefs of what it means to be in that big house that has many rooms, right? It has been used as a statement of faith and in worship by many denominations, including ours. But here's the Apostles' Creed. If we could put it up, if we have the slide for the Apostles' Creed. And when we do communion and sacraments, we actually usually stand and do this together, but we can just do this right where we are because I want you to meditate on it and to, to say it as well, what we believe as God's people. So Imago Church, I want us to together be able to share and proclaim with one another what we believe. So I'll go ahead and lead us, and then you go ahead and follow, okay? Here's the Apostles' Creed. We believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. We believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. We believe in the, oh, the Holy Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and in life everlasting. Amen. Amen. This we believe. And as one wise person once said it, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty and diversity. That's why there are many rooms in the big house, right? And in all things, grace and charity. As one of the songs that we sing, and we'll conclude with this, with our final song, as one of the songs that we sing together as a congregation, it so powerfully and simply says, we believe in God our Father, we believe in Jesus Christ, His only Son. We believe in the Holy Spirit, our blessed Trinity, three in one. What we believe about ourselves and other people, as we, as we said earlier, is that, right? that Jesus loves us, this we know, for the Bible tells us so. Oh yes, Jesus loves me. And yes, Jesus loves you. And hallelujah. By his grace, our living Lord and our Savior who came, died, and rose again, this same Jesus loves us. And that's the heart of the matter. That's the bottom line. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We bow down before you. We proclaim that, Lord, you are able, you are good. 
on our own, we can't. So we need, Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit, you must do the work. The work that you began in and through us, you will bring it to completion in your perfect timing, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your precious, precious, precious word that never comes back empty, but always achieves its purposes. Thank you, Lord, that we belong to a family, your family, God, that we have a home, an eternal home, Lord, our Father's house, a big, big house with many rooms, Lord God, where the tears are wiped away and where all things are made new, Lord. Thank you that we get a test and a taste of that even now on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, continue to teach us to love your word. Continue to teach us to love one another, to love your family, the church. God, guide us and help us to continue to keep the main thing the main thing, to keep front and center the heart of the matter, which is not just information or inspiration, but it's transformation to be made Christ-like in our thoughts, our words, our actions, and our character. We love you, Lord, and we lift all this up to you. Receive this final song as a sweet aroma of worship to you today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Let's stand as we conclude in worship. <laughs>